points. This is SRN News, W262CP, Bayonet Point, WTBN, Pinellas Park. Portions of this hour have been pre-recorded for broadcast at this time. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. Very, very closely because there are some Christians, and you may have had them confront you, there are some Christians who have no ministry of encouragement to anybody, but they take great delight in pointing out other Christians' sins. They come across as God's appointed policemen. You don't know who appointed them, but they actually appointed themselves. They are part of his condemnation squad. They enjoy this. They seem to have a knack for knowing what areas of your life are not quite right. They are unloving, speck-picking critics. We live in a society of critics. Comedian George Burns once commented that it was too bad that the only people who knew how to run the country are busy cutting hair and driving taxis. But it's not a new phenomenon. Abraham Lincoln supposedly expressed his disappointment that the best generals were unwilling to resign their positions as newspaper editors and take over prosecution of the war between the states. Sadly, there are many Christians who have critical spirits and say they are confronting when they are simply criticizing. There is a difference, and Pastor Steve Kreloff will discuss that difference today on Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve has been serving for over 27 years at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These Bible classes of the air are an extension of his teaching ministry. Now let's turn in our Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and see how King David's friend Nathan demonstrated the proper way to confront a friend who had fallen into sin. Here's Pastor Steve. And so this morning, what we want to do from 2 Samuel 12, we want to learn the right way to confront someone the right way to go to somebody and in a gracious yet bold and uncompromising way tell them that they're wrong in their lives, that they have violated God's word. And I would encourage you to take notes on this because we don't go over this very often. And this is an absolute biblical command. If you don't do this and somebody needs to confront you about it. So we're going to look at four principles about biblical confrontation. There is a right way and there is a wrong way. Biblical confrontation, first of all, you writing this down? Okay, first of all, it involves being sent by God. Make sure God sends you and not yourself. Beginning at verse 1 of chapter 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, let's, let's stop there. As chapter 12 opens up, it's been about a year since David's adultery and murder. Now, how do we know it's been about a year? Because as the chapter goes on, we read that the baby was born. Baby born, nine months, about a year. Okay. Baby is born to Bathsheba. So for about a year, David has lived with this guilt. Can you imagine this? For about a year, he's lived with this guilt. And uh, how has he been handling it? Been good? Been a good time, David? Been a nice time in your life? You got away with it? I don't think so. Psalm 32, verses 3 and 4 say this. When I, David said this. When I kept silent about my sin, and this is the sin he's talking about, my body wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for night and day or day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. What David is saying is not only was his fellowship with God broken, but he was physically affected by this. He was miserable for this year. 
It physically affected him. Sin does that. If you don't confess your sin, turn from it, it, it affects you physically. It drains you. The joy is gone. It's what we would call today a carnal believer or a believer who's caught in carnality, his own catching. So not only was David, uh, uh, had, had, not only had David had broken fellowship with God, but David became a miserable man. A man who had no joy. This is the sweet psalmist of Israel. This is the singer who sang to the Lord, but for about a year, he didn't sing anything like this because out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You can't sing songs of praise to God when you're covering up your sin. And not only that, David became an inhumane individual, a harsh person. Notice the end of chapter 12 of, of 2 Samuel. It says this in verse 26. Now Joab fought against Rabbah, the sons of Ammon, and captured the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah. I have even captured the city of waters. Now therefore, uh, gather the rest of the people together and camp against the city and capture it, lest I capture the city myself and it be named after me. Now this, by the way, chronologically fits in right after his relationship with Bathsheba. It's at the end of this chapter, but it's right after he committed the sin and after Uriah died. So David gathered all the people and went to Rabbah and fought against it, captured it. Then he took the crown of their king from his head and its weight was a talent of gold and it was a precious stone and it was placed on David's head and he brought out the spoil of the city in great amounts. Verse 31, he brought out the people who were in it and set them under saws, sharp iron instruments and iron axes and he made them pass through the brick kiln and then he did to all the cities of the sons of Ammon and David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. You know what? I read a commentary this week that said David just put them to labor. David gave them saws, David gave them sharp instruments and he put them to labor. Not true. That's, that's inaccurate. Uh, you don't have to turn there but First Chronicles 20 verse 3 gives us a parallel verse. You know what it says? David cut them. David sawed them. David uh, was cruel to them. They weren't given these instruments that were sharp. They were used upon them. David became inhumane, uncharacteristic of David, who was a merciful man. David became like a madman. David became hard and cruel and uh, a believer out of fellowship with God, suffering under the strain of guilt and also having the heavy hand of discipline upon him. And, and I wonder if there are not some here like that. Because that's what happens to us when we get out of fellowship with God. I wonder if some of us can relate to David's experience. You claim to know Jesus Christ, but you're holding on to sin, stubbornly refusing to repent of something. It's not only made you lose fellowship with God, no joy in your life. There may be some times of happiness because we tend to fill that when we purchase something or obtain something, but no real joy inwardly. And you've become mean. You've become cranky. Maybe you haven't taken a saw to anybody, I hope. But mean and cranky and nasty. When you meet people like that who claim to know Christ, it's because they're out of fellowship with him. Now, if that's the case, then you need to repent. And God's way, most of the time, to bring us to repentance is by sending someone to talk to us about our sin. And the person that he sends to you uh, ought to have certain qualities that make him or hers their confrontation very effective. Now, in David's case, he sent Nathan the prophet. 
who is the right man to perform spiritual surgery on David. And this is what you want to focus in on. This is how, as you look at Nathan's example, you can know how to confront somebody if you're the right person or somebody else ought to do it. Now, we ought to all be involved in confrontation somewhere along the line because Scripture tells us to. But uh, first of all, how do you know if you're the right person? Well, how do you know if you're sent by God or if it should be someone else or you ought to back off, whatever? Well, first of all, we, we see from Nathan, we read in verse 1, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. Who was Nathan? Nathan had previously been an encouragement to David. That's very important. Keep that in mind. Nathan had been an encouragement to David. The only other time previous to this we read about Nathan the prophet is in chapter 7 of this book. And remember chapter 7? It's a highlight in David's life and a highlight in the word of God. It's what we call the Davidic covenant. Nathan the prophet said to David, listen, God says you're not going to build the temple for me. Your son is. However, you're going to have an eternal throne. You're going to have an eternal kingdom. You will not be like Saul, whose dynasty ends with Saul. You will have an eternal throne. You will have an eternal kingdom. You'll have an eternal seed. In fact, the Messiah will come from you. That was a great encouragement to David. That was the highlight of his life. Nathan had had a real ministry in David's life of encouraging him. And it's the same Nathan who now comes to David to confront him about his sin. Now, you see any connection here? Let me give you the connection. When God sends someone to confront another, he sends someone who has previously been an encouragement to that person. Someone who has previously expressed concern and love uh, for that individual. Someone who has had a spiritually beneficial ministry in that individual's life. Why is that important? Listen to me very, very closely because there are some Christians, and you may have had them confront you, There are some Christians who have no ministry of encouragement to anybody, but they take great delight in pointing out other Christians' sins. They come across as God's appointed policemen. You don't know who appointed them, but they actually appointed themselves. They are part of his condemnation squad. They enjoy this. They seem to have a knack for knowing what areas of your life are not quite right. They, uh, they seem to have a knack. They are unloving, speck-picking critics. Why do I call them that? Will you turn your New Testament to Matthew chapter 7, keeping your place at 2 Samuel 12, but Matthew chapter 7. Now, this is the part where people will say, ah, we shouldn't confront because Jesus said that we shouldn't judge anybody. Yeah, but but whoever says that has never gone on to read what Jesus uh, went on to say and what he meant by that. Don't pull a verse out of context. I've had people say to me, ah, judge not, lest you be judged. Well, they haven't gone on to read what this whole text is about. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. Do not judge lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look, Jesus said in verse 3, at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? You know what he's saying? Do not judge with a self-righteous attitude. Don't judge that way. He was never teaching, don't uh, tell somebody about their sin. What he was saying is, don't think you're better than them. You got a telephone pole sticking out of your eye. You're going to get a little uh, sleepy dust out of their eye. Don't be ridiculous. First, take the phone out of your, the, the pole out of your eye, 
And then you can see, because he goes on to say, verse 4, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly the speck. You'll be able to clearly take the speck out of your brother's eye. See, he was telling us that we are to go and confront somebody, but first deal with your own self-righteous attitude. Now back to 2 Samuel 12. These are unloving, speck-picking critics. That's what I mean by that who do more damage than good because they alienate people due to their lack of encouragement. Their lack of encouragement. Listen, let me tell you, nobody responds to one who only condemns. Nobody responds. That There is a balance. We need to encourage people and, and, uh, and, and love them as well as tell them where they're wrong. But if you only condemn, nobody wants to respond to that. Nobody will respond to that. So how can you tell if God has sent you to confront someone or if you've taken this task on yourself? I would write this down. I think this is a great rule to follow. It's a, it's a simple rule, and it's this. If you enjoy exposing your brother's sin, then don't do it. You got that? If you enjoy it, don't do it. You aren't the right person for the job or at least not at this time, because something is wrong with your attitude, there is a self-righteousness that has to be dealt with in your own heart. If you enjoy it, don't do it. It ought to be unpleasant. It ought to be awkward. It ought to be an unpleasant experience for you because you love this person. You ought to love them. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. But those who only condemn do, take, uh, do tend to rejoice in unrighteousness. They're, just, uh, they're glad that you're unrighteous because they feel superior to you. It ought not to be like that. It ought to be unpleasant. It ought to be awkward because you love this person and it ought to be painful to tell them the truth about their sin. Proverbs 27, verse 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. It is an enemy who won't tell you the truth. It is your enemy who will tell you everything is fine. It is someone who loves you, who is faithful, who will say it's not fine. You're wrong here. I'm going to tell you the truth. In Psalm 141, David speaks of this. Psalm 141, you don't need to turn there. Verse 5, David said this, Let the righteous smite me in kindness and reprove me. David said, I can take it if they do it in kindness. If they do it because they care. But nobody can handle it and respond to people who only condemn. So be sure your motives are right. Be sure your motives are right. Ephesians 4, verse 15 says, speaking the truth in love. You don't go to somebody just to get it off your chest. You speak the truth in love. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves. He disciplines, Hebrews 12 tells us. And he only sends those who reflect that love to confront others in sin. So when God sends you, you're an encouragement. You've been an encouragement to that person, not only a condemner. There's another way to know if you're the right person. You have God's leading. You have God's leading. Now, how do you know if you have God's leading? How do you know this? Well, look back at at 2 Samuel, verse 12. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him, and he said this. The Lord, notice, it says, then, the, the first sentence, first word says, then the Lord sent Nathan to David. God's timing was specific. It was then. It had been about a year after the act of adultery and the murder of Uriah. 
Why wait a year? Why wait a year? Why not send Nathan right away? I'll tell you the answer. Because God knew that David wasn't ready yet to repent. God was working in his heart. During that year's time of spiritual misery, God was preparing David to receive the truth about his sin. God's timing is always right. Chuck Swindoll said this, Notice that God didn't send Nathan to confront David immediately after he committed adultery or even after the murder. He doesn't always settle up with us in the springtime of our sin. Often he waits until we've experienced a barren winter in our souls. It's a good quote. That's a good, good quote. So the principle says, if God is leading you and and he's burdening you to confront someone, then you need to wait upon the Lord for the right timing. Wait upon the Lord for for, uh, your own heart to be right. For a sense of this is the right timing, ask God for wisdom uh, in, in what to say in confronting this person. When I have to confront somebody about their sin, what I do, my general practice is to uh, spend a little time in, in fasting. It's all right to tell you now because I'm not doing that. Jesus said, don't, do it, don't tell them when you're doing it. But when I've had to confront someone, I, I um, usually spend some time missing a meal That time that it would take me to eat the meal, I spend alone with the Lord, and uh, I ask the Lord to help my own heart to have the right attitude, because it often doesn't. I ask the Lord to give me the right uh, words to speak, and I pray specifically that the Lord would prepare this person's heart to receive the truth, because that's the real goal. Not how I feel, but how they uh, respond to the truth. So, first of all, biblical confrontation involves being sent by God. Make sure you love the person You've been an encouragement to them. You've had a ministry to them. And be sure that the timing is right. Don't rush into it without God's sense of of leading. So biblical confrontation also involves not only being sent by God, but using the right words. Now notice as we look at the text, verse 1, it says, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in the city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which, and that's a female lamb, which he bought and nurtured and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children, and it would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the, man's, uh, the poor man's ewe lamb and uh, prepared it for the man who had come to him. Now Nathan begins his confrontation by telling David a little story. It's a parable. It's a parable about a rich man who, in spite of having many sheep, stole a poor uh, neighbor's only little female lamb to provide a feast for a guest. Now, obviously, Nathan's parable, I say obviously, you should get this, Nathan's parable was really about David and Uriah. David was the rich man who had many, many wives, didn't need another one, and Uriah only had one wife, Bathsheba. And why do you suppose that Nathan used this approach with David? Why not just blast the guy? Right away. Why not do it? I'll tell you why. Because David had been a poor shepherd boy, hadn't he? David had been a poor shepherd himself. And nothing would have pierced David's heart in defense, defenses like a story about a poor shepherd and his pet lamb. David would relate to that. 
And uh, this story really hit the mark with David. He was enraged about it. Notice his reaction in verses 5 and 6. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. You see, David thought that, that uh, Nathan was coming and telling him a story about somebody in his kingdom, and he'd passed judgment on this. And never realizing he was the man, David's anger burned greatly against the man. He said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. Wow. He, and he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. David's blind to the fact that he's the rich man of the story, but he is so enraged by this injustice that he actually goes beyond the Mosaic law. The law of Moses said, if someone takes someone's sheep, return it fourfold. For one sheep has taken return for. David goes beyond the law and he says the man ought to die. He deserves to die. Now, the truth that I want you to see is that the words that you use in confronting someone need to be thoughtfully and prayerfully uh, arrived at so that you address the real issue as as Nathan did. Nathan thought this thing through. He didn't just go in there and say, I don't know what I'm going to say. No, he had thought this through. Don't beat around the bush. But get to the heart of the person's sin. You and I may not be as skilled as Nathan was in being a storyteller. And we don't need to be skilled like that. But we can be prayerfully, uh, we can prayerfully communicate in clear language what the problem is. And Nathan sure did. After the story, notice what he said to David in verse 7. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? A little fly on the wall hearing it. You know, what was his tone of voice? He just said it to the king. What boldness. I don't think he came in there and said, you're the man. I think he came in and said, you are the man. I mean, David could take his life. You, this has to be the bravest guy in all the Bible. You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. It is I who anointed you king over Israel. And it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. And he goes on to spell out some things. Don't speak Hastily is the point. Know what you're going to say. Use the right words. Nathan sure did. He had this parable all figured out, and then he said, you're the man, David. You're guilty. You have sinned. And then he spelled out David's sin. He brought him the only words that you and I really want to bring in terms of confronting somebody after you you initially get into this, and that is God's word. Confrontation certainly is uncomfortable. At least it should be if our hearts are right with God. So far, we have learned that we should only confront a person about their sin if and when God has sent us to do so. Secondly, we must use God's Word. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve Kreloff will share more about using the Bible to confront before we move on to a third principle of biblical confrontation. Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, where he has been serving since 1981. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries, a faith ministry supported by our listeners. If you have been blessed by these classes, perhaps God is leading you to be a part of our support team. Here is Pastor Steve with some information on the topic. I'm Pastor Steve Kreloff with a special message about why people like you choose to support Verse by Verse with their prayers and financial gifts. 
two things come to my mind. One was a lady who wrote a letter to us and said, you make the Word of God sound easy. I mean, that was, she was saying, you, you make it understandable. And I actually hung that letter up in my office. You make the Word of God easy to understand. And that's really what we want to do. If you've been blessed through verse by verse, please consider supporting this ministry with prayer and your financial gifts. You can call 727-441-1714. That's 727 727- 441-1714 or drop us a line at P.O. Box 5884 Clearwater, Florida 33758 That's P.O. Box 5884 Clearwater, Florida 33758 Thank you, Pastor Steve. For more information about giving, visit our website, Verse by Verse Radio all one word, versebyverseradio.org Click the Support Us link near the top right corner of the page. The website has a large collection of previous classes in MP3 format. You can listen online or download them for later. Today's program should be right there on the home page for your convenience in case you missed part of today's class. Once more, the website address is versebyverseradio.org. There is another way to listen, and that is with a CD or cassette available by calling and ordering one of your own. These CDs and cassettes contain the entire message without announcements. Our phone number is 727-239-0306. Leave your name and a phone number.